Hey everyone, big news. Up Next in Commerce is now available for sponsorship. If you love this show and you, or maybe your company, or someone in your network that you know may want to reach an audience of supremely smart e-commerce leaders, then reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and I'll give you all the juicy details around what our strategic partnerships look like. Email me at stephanie at mission.org and let's chat. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Up Next in Commerce. Today, we have Kevin McRae, co-founder and president of Kevin's Natural Foods. Kevin turned to clean eating in search of a cure for an autoimmune disorder. Kevin's Natural Foods works to make clean eating tasty and delicious and fit into any lifestyle, disrupting the market as the first clean, ready-to-eat refrigerated meal. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited because when I saw you coming on, I was like, wait, I eat all of your meals already. They are everywhere I shop, Whole Foods, Costco. And I was like, and I'm talking to Kevin. Like, this is a great day. So thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It's so nice to hear. Yeah, it's uh, it's only been since 2019, but it feels like it's been a lifetime that we've been out there plugging away. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure it feeds our whole family of six and four of which are kids. So super nice how quick your meals are. But I would love to first hear, before we get into the company, your backstory of how you got into this space and decided to create Kevin's Natural Foods. Sure, you got it. So it started actually about 10 years before Kevin's Natural Foods was born. I had a uh, autoimmune disorder in college. Um, like these things happen, a lot of times they come from out of nowhere, just flared up, no family history, no warning, and um, just disruptive in and out of the hospital weeks at a time. When you get these type of things, your family, yourself, you just kind of, it consumes your life. So my whole focus for like five years was trying to figure out how to curb these uh, flare-ups and mitigate all the symptoms that came along with, with that autoimmune disorder. It turns out that the paleo diet, it was, it was really early days, but started to show some promise because it was anti-inflammatory and it was proven out to be effective for people to, wanting to manage their autoimmune disorder. So I gave that a shot. And it really did the trick for me. Whatever reason, uh, my wiring, my body totally took to it. I didn't have to go to the hospital anymore. And I didn't have to take any more medication. That was kind of like milestone number one. Fast forward 15 years later, the food company was born. So that whole idea 
led to the insight. And that was the main thing that this led to Kevin's was once you start eating healthier, you change your life, any significant lifestyle change, it's hard to pull off. You're so set in your ways. Your routine is so established. Eating in particular, as my life went on, I had this great motivation to eat clean, to stay well. And it was still like the hardest thing I ever had ever done, especially as life got busier, you know, got out of college, got into my career path and got married and then had kids, which is like the exponential factor that's going to make life busy. It just, it was hard. So I started talking to more and more folks, got into the food business and it kind of hit me one day that as eating healthier, eating cleaner became more mainstream and more of the general market wanted to change their lifestyle habits. And a lot of these folks didn't have, um, you know, the motivation I did where it's like, all right, you have this big life event that kind of propels you in this direction. They just wanted to improve their lives or lose some weight. If I'm struggling with this, what is the everyday person? How are they pulling it off in their day-to-day lives? So that was the catalyst, the, the insight. Then we started talking to people, holding focus groups and, and putting the line together. But that's what everything was built on. Wow. Okay. So it's perfectly timed because this past weekend, uh, do you know who Mark Hyman is? No. He's like a uh, doctor, but his whole thing is around eating healthier can basically solve almost any problem. He was like focusing on autoimmune disorders and was showing all his patients that he's like, you know, this person was about to have a triple bypass surgery. This person was about to get this, you know, organ removed. And he's like, and all I had to do was just transform their diets and the autoimmune disorder disappeared. Game changer. And it was like really powerful just being like, wow, okay, diets can literally change anything. I want to hear like, what were you eating before? And then what did you realize you had to start eating instead and cut out? So uh, the paleo diet was what worked for me. And that meant giving up grains, legumes, dairy. And that was tricky for me. I was on like a standard kind of, um, you know, eating oatmeal in the morning with some eggs and sandwiches for lunch. And I had rice with almost every dinner. So grains was the, it was the trickiest thing for me to cut out and refined sugar, which was everywhere. So even though I thought I was eating kind of, kind of healthy, a lot of these, um, hard to digest nutrients and anti-nutrients were making it, making it really challenging for me. And then the funny thing was, uh, when I transitioned to starting to follow the paleo diet, I was so limited in my options because I was busy. So I was making the same thing over and over again. So it was like I was eating broccoli and, you know, chicken breasts like night after night. (laughs) That's when I was like, I need to make a change here. And the only way I could incorporate variety into my diet was to allocate a ton of time um, towards meal prepping. Another insight where it was like when you would talk to people that were having success where you'd have folks that were, you know, listening to the advice of, of Mark and in kind of going in that direction. Oh, I want to cure my autoimmune disorder. I want to, um, I want to get after this objective that I have. It was the folks that meal prep that had a lot of success. So the idea was, what if we did the meal prep without all that prep work? And um, that was a big one for us too. Yeah, that's amazing. Have you ever done 23andMe and seen? I have. Like your DNA? Yeah. I mean, did you get any insights from that? Because that was also a whole conversation, like a wormhole I went into this weekend where people were telling me like, oh, yeah, I took that. And then it told me I had a sulfur something gene and I couldn't eat kale and spinach. And I was like, well, there's so much in nutrition that I don't even understand, apparently. But yeah, so you said you did that? I did. I did. And it was a lot of fun and a lot of fun to to talk through. Luckily, I think it was like kind of luck at the draw. I'd already kind of aligned with a lot of what, a lot of the recommendations that were there. And the paleo diet will do that to you. Um 
But it was, I think that is such an interesting program. And I can't believe what they could do with, with that kit, where they could tie you to all your other relatives and see where you're from. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, I know. I, I don't think I realized the power of it. But then I hear, I think it's in Norway or some other place, essentially every person in the country takes that. So then before you ever go to a doctor, they already know based off your genes, like what medicines will work and what diet you should be on. And so like, they're like, I'm never going to give you this pharmaceutical because it wouldn't work with your genes, whereas this one will, or, you know, or actually maybe you just need to change your diet. And I'm like, oh, we're so behind here in the US. So many advancements are just needing to happen. <laughs> and think about as algorithms get more involved with in medicine, and then you start um, loading in that level of data for millions mm -hmm. and millions of people. It's pretty remarkable what could happen over the next couple of decades. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So you had this idea. You're like, I need meals already ready for me. I don't feel like meal prepping. Were you at that point still at Cal's Chef Foods or where were you at in that point in your life? In that point in my life, when I had started meal prepping, I was in the supermarket business. So I was in marketing for Save Mart Supermarkets. And then just a whole bunch of uh, luck happened. I met Dan Costa, who recruited me into food manufacturing. He had an idea. And his big idea was around convening people around the dinner table and making it easy to cook with a meal kit concept he had. So I got introduced to food manufacturing, never had any background in that industry. I was marketing, branding, and then kind of lay health and fitness, just passionate about it because what it did for my life. And that opened my eyes to, wow, this is really the platform. Ever since I started following the paleo diet, I wanted to help people and kind of spread the word, but I didn't really know how. Once I saw what you could do with food in the manufacturing space and kind of got a taste of how you could scale a brand and reach millions and millions of people, that's when it opened my eyes to, wow, this could be uh, really a big deal for us. So I teamed up with Dan. He kind of gave me the training I, I needed to learn that business. And he became very passionate about this idea of helping people and empowering them to eat healthy without sacrificing flavor. So together, we were able to take his experience in manufacturing and my passion for health and nutrition and uh, launch Kevin's in 2019. So we'd worked together for uh, five, six years before that came to fruition. And that's CalChef Foods. Okay. Tell me about CalChef Foods, how we get there. <laughs> so we got there. Dan had, he, he was a chef and entrepreneur and had... Um, experience in the food business and um, had actually grown a company back in the 90s and sold it to Tyson Foods. Oh, wow. He was really excited. He got into apparel after that and he was really excited to get back into the food business and um, kind of take some of the insights he'd uncovered um, around convenience and flavor and carry that forward. So he started CalChef Foods in 2012 and I teamed up with him into 2013, early 2014. Together, we were working on on the meal kit ideas that morphed over time into Kevin's. I gotcha. So what did that look like being at a company? I mean, that's what I was trying to understand. Like, wait, he just lets you take this product and run with it. He didn't try and keep it within Cal Chef Foods. Like, what was that dynamic like? It was pretty incredible. Well, since we founded it together, it made it exciting for, for kind of both of us. But yeah, he definitely gave me the platform. So what ended up happening was the idea surfaced we started talking about it. Hey, Dan, what if we did this? And he would volley it back over. Well, the line could look like this. Okay, let's start focus grouping, see what this could be. And it started as something we did on the side. So we had a chef's menu, which was the primary brand at the time under Cal Chef Foods. And then we launched this as, as kind of a line extension and, and said, let's see if there's a there there and how popular this could be. And after the 
But the second week we shipped our first order, we got together and said, all right, this needs to be the lead horse because all the indicators were going wild that that we had really hit on something. And we had already been working on the brand for a year. We'd talked to consumers and we'd done dozens of focus groups and we we knew we had something, but until you get it out in the market and see if, see if it's moving off the shelves, you don't really know. So once that happened, we said, hey, let's focus 100% on this brand. This is really the the winner. And then we just put everything we had into it and kept growing it. That's awesome. What were some of the first retailers you were working with? Because right now I see you're definitely at Whole Foods, you're at Costco. Okay, those are the two places I shop. So I don't know where else you are, but which one was first? <laughs> Check those boxes. So Costco was actually our very first customer um, in the Bay Area, which we're about an hour and a half away from their buying office. We showed them the idea and they gave us a test rotation. And we did double in the same time frame the unit movement than what they had originally told us. And that's when we knew that was the first indicator that this was going to be great. That was in August of 2019 and Expo East was in October. So we took, we had that one case study. We went to Expo East where we were able to finalize deals with Whole Foods nationally. And then shortly after that, HEB, Publix, Raley's. And we started kind of proving out each one of these different verticals. So we started with club then you had natural with Whole Foods, and then we started bringing on the conventional stores, and then down the road, Target and other mass retailers. So they just kind of dominoed after we had the first kind of pushed the first domino over with Costco. Wow. Okay. So this might be a big question, but because you partnered with Dan, what things were you able to like leapfrog as a founder? We were like, there's probably a lot of really messy lessons that would have been in this, you know, trying yeah, to go into yeah. a retailer, trying to make a product, like whatever it may be. But we were able to leapfrog that because Dan kind of already had experience in this space. Like what are some of those big ones that you kind of know you were able to miss? I'd say the biggest one, there's there's so many. Um, and this, this is where when you hear people talking about like how effective having a good mentor could be. Imagine you have like this phenomenal mentor, but he's also in the company and showing you like kind of on the job. It was fantastic. But here's the number one. A lot of passionate entrepreneurs have really good ideas in food and you and I never hear about them because they cost so much to manufacture that they never make it to the market or they're, you know, they're always niche or they're always in one store format. You just don't, they don't become ubiquitous. Dan had the manufacturing background and was obsessed with first costs. So from the get-go, if our mission is to empower people to eat clean without sacrificing flavor, and we want to help people, it's one thing to go sell to you know, the folks where they're already going to eat healthy, Whole Foods or, or Costco. But how do, we, how do we jump that chasm into the general market and not only team up with those fantastic partners, but also have this you know, kind of broader distribution that is very mainstream? In order to do that, you have to have your price right, or you'll never make it. You'll only be secluded to uh, to one one corner of the market. And so, in order to do that, we had to make the products, we had to make the goods, we had to buy everything at the lowest possible first cost. That was a one of his many um, fortes. So uh, he um, brought that to the table, uh, among other things. And that was the the brand doesn't exist if it's not on the shelf at the right price. Mm-hmm. What does it look like getting those good prices? I mean, I wouldn't even know where to begin. To me, I would go and maybe try and source, you know, like you guys have barbecue sauce and some of your chicken meals. Like, oh, yeah. okay, there's a couple offers. Sounds good. Like, are you in there like negotiate or like, what does it look like behind the scenes to get a really good first price on an ingredient? I love this question because it it's, it's kind of the most fun. So the more you can control your own manufacturing, the better. 
not everybody's in a position to do that. So a lot of times you have to start out in a co-packing relationship. That's kind of a separate conversation. But the first part is if you source the raw material at a good first cost, a good price, and um, then you're going to be in good shape regardless of how, how you're doing your manufacturing. That is an iterative process. So when you're just an idea, you have to treat the potential supplier as the almost like a customer. So if we wanted to buy coconut aminos instead of soy sauce, but uh, for a teriyaki sauce, because it's healthier and it fits the diets, we need to source that coconut aminos at about the same price as soy sauce. But that's very difficult to do. So we would get with the suppliers and we would cook for them, serve them the food, talk to them about our history, our passion, a little bit about our business model and our plans for the future. We would sell them on the idea and then we'd give them the same talk. We could be a big customer, but not if you treat us like a small customer right now. That's ne it's never going to work because we're never going to get the volume. So you need to bet on us, give us good pricing, and then we'll put a performance system into place and, and keep an eye on things, but you're going to see us grow. You just had the food. How did it taste? You heard the story. How does it sound? How, how do you think a retailer is going to respond to this? You sell them in, into it, get them on the best uh, best cost on the front end so you can get to the market with a good price. And then over time, volume takes care of the rest. So everybody, the first time you see a supplier go through that process, they bet on you. And then all of a sudden you're a big customer for them. They love you. I mean, it's it's fun for them to see this growth and be a part of something that's special. So uh, then the, as the volume grows, then you're just negotiating like you'd always negotiate using volume leverage. But that's really important to uh, on the uh, raw materials side. Then on the co-packing side, if you, if you need to use a co-packer, it's all about goal congruence. If they uh, they have to see the vision, they have to have the line time, they have to be the right partner and have the right processes in place. So a lot of work just has to go into selecting the right manufacturing partners. Got it. Wow. That's, that's good. And I like the level of detail that you just got into. I mean, that, that also highlights to me the power of storytelling. I think so often it's easy to forget that you have to sell something, even if you have the best product, even if you have all the things, it's like, you still have to have a good story to show people why they should work with you, why they should give you a discount, like whatever it may be. And I think that part kind of gets lost sometimes while people are heads down, building, building, building. It's the number one tool you have in your tool chest, in my opinion, as a, uh, as a founder, because you're constantly telling stories in order to help people understand what the vision is. Because in the early days, the KPIs aren't really there. So what you're doing is you're, you're getting people involved based on a lot of potential. And so even when you're recruiting employees, folks, that the good people have a lot of options. So when you're recruiting some of your early employees to get involved in the company and bet the next five, 10 or more years of their life on, on your endeavor, you have to be able to paint the picture and tell the story in a way that's you know authentic and true, um, but really compelling. And then we use it all the time in, in the manufacturing process. When you're trying to get someone to uh, work harder or create more output in a production facility, storytelling is a, is a major tool. You're, you're running hypotheticals with them. You're talking with, with them about how they have to think about the job they're doing. And you're trying to get folks to think about, you know, five, six years out and how hustling today could, could what it could mean for their life, um, you know, five years from now. So yeah, really powerful tool. We use it all the time. Yeah. So how did you take that and put it into the market, like the marketing behind Kevin's, I'm thinking like, okay, you go into, I mean, even Costco, like it's not really known for being like a healthy, I mean, to me, it's like, I'm going to go get bulk things and maybe finding organic healthy things isn't 
probably what I'm going to buy there just because it seems more limited, at least here in Austin. So how did you go about trying to educate the market who probably has, at least me anyway, some ideas on what a prepackaged meal contains, maybe how it's not that healthy? Like, How did you go about kind of informing and educating and bringing brand awareness to a brand new product? That's changed a little bit over time, um, but we st- we've built on how we launched. So let me explain kind of what I mean by that. First off, we wanted the package to be able to be put on the shelf and sell faster than the conventional offerings with no marketing support. Just someone walks by, they see it, they pick it up, they try it, they like it, they tell their friend. And that's our story because as a startup, you didn't have a lot of money on the front end for marketing. So we knew that the offering had to be compelling visually. At that point, um, what we did is we focused a lot on packaging design, had a couple of key breakthroughs. We lived in stores for like 90 days, trying different, you know, setting the shelves and, you know, buying meat department managers, Starbucks to let us come in and face the product and try this stuff out. And what we learned was everybody wanted the package loud. They wanted it to jump off the shelf. And the louder we made that package, the more you missed it when you walked by it, because the supermarket is loud. The supermarket, everybody's vying for your attention. And we ended up having the breakthrough of adding more negative space and doing this kind of white background, which ultimately became a key part of our our brand image. Not only did it uh, jump off the shelves because everything else was screaming at you, that your eye kind of found this negative space, but it also uh, went really well with this idea of clean eating. And so that became a really, a really strong, compelling part of our package. And it also, there were some other little things that happened. A lot of folks were trying to say too much on the front of the package. So we wanted to really refine our messaging. You say too much, you say nothing. You know, that was kind of our internal motto. And then uh, there were other cues and triggers that were really working with folks at the time. At the time, a lot of people in the category were kind of overselling the food and putting a bunch of side dishes and things that weren't in the food. We wanted really simple images that just made exactly what was in the package look really good. And then that, that hit. And then the retailer story is actually really important. So you mentioned Costco. They actually, a phenomenal partner for launching a brand and being uh, being early an early adopter of a of a new product because they had actually trained their member to trust their the foods they picked. So if you're in the deli at Costco, there is definitely a range of indulgent, more indulgent, more healthy food offerings, but the flavor and the editing, their buyers are tough. They taste everything and they get they get in there and they add their input. So there's a trust level there. So it helped with uh, adoption because their members weren't afraid to try something new. And then they see this compelling uh, packaging with a lot, of, uh, a lot of strong attributes in a very similar story for Whole Foods and a lot of our other early retail partners. So it was great that we had those partnerships on the front end that had that trust with their shopper. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise, and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about publicly, that is. 
break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Yeah, ever since I read an article on Costco on how they do their white labeling on things. Have you ever heard about how they white label? Yeah. Like they basically say, okay, Starbucks, you can come in, yeah. but then we're going to have a Kirkland brand that has to be somehow 10% better than your Starbucks brand. Maybe it's organic, maybe it's like single source, bean, whatever it might be, but it has to in some way qualify as 10% better than the actual brand that's in the store. Which I'm like, that's genius. That's a way to instill trust right there. It's like, we will always have better. You can still go with the name brand, but if we want to white label it, ours will be better. <laughs> and you have to be okay with that. And they'll put the work in to make it better. And they'll they'll buy the volume and they'll they'll work with you. I mean, it's just anything you read on that company, it's it's pretty incredible what what they do. And we see it firsthand all the time and they never cease to amaze me. But yeah, there's a lot of trust there. And then over time, so you you start with that and then folks start to recognize the brand and you get word of mouth. And then now as we grow, you're able to pour fuel on the fire with new types of marketing campaigns and um, we could do some paid advertising and things. But most importantly, you have this kind of base level of community and just engaging them over and over and getting them involved in the conversation. And we do all these digital focus groups to get the community involved and hear feedback directly from the customer. And you're able to start with that that kind of base and then continue to pour fuel on the fire. Thanks to social media and other, you know, the time we're in. It's yeah. like a different world. Yep. So for anyone who's listening, who's probably like, Okay, Kevin, how do I get into Costco? How do I get into Whole Foods? <laughs> what did that process look like for you? And if there were parts where you're like, oh, it really helped having um, Dan because of this, like adding that too, of course, but like, what did it look like to get into some of these stores or what are your tips to be able to get in? That's a great question. And so here's the way I see it. If you have a product offering that will sell better than what's on the shelf, these folks will give you a shot. They are very open to that. And um, in all stores now, people will take the meeting. So step number one is create a really compelling product offering. It may be hard to get that first meeting. If it's still kind of half-baked, you got to get it to the point where you could have a good cutting. You could show what the packaging would look like, have an idea on what the lead time would be if they were interested, have your cost dialed in. You got you to gotta do the pre-work. But if you're there and it's compelling, you reach out to the retailer. Most of them you can get to, but if you can't, you could hire a, a broker. And that's very common in the industry. There's a lot of a lot of great brokers out there that specialize in calling on these different retailers or retail formats. Trust me, if you have a good product, they're going to want to work with you. And you get the broker involved, they'll get the in, uh, intro meeting, get a good pitch, the buyer will eat it. And they'll give you, they're not shy with their feedback on everything from flavor to pricing. And you'll know after that first meeting how much work you have left to do to get on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Did they have any shocking feedback for you where maybe Costco had one set of feedback and then Whole Foods had like something different where you're like in this pull between like, okay, how do I please everyone? Yeah, you don't want to get into that hole. So you got to create your own boundaries uh, when the time is right. So typically the way you want to do that is you want to get that launch customer. So we, once we had Costco, we gave that a two month runway to see how, how it performed as is and how the product resonated. Then once you have that case study, you have a little bit of armor where if you go to another retailer and they want to make like a really disruptive or a, a change that changes the product significantly, you now have some data to go, well, here's here's what's working and why. So you can kind of protect yourself because if you start making it complex, especially if you're in a co-packing environment or you're just getting your production facility off the ground, you're going to make your life way too hard. Then all of a sudden your margin's going to tank and you're going to be in trouble. So you got to hear the feedback. And the best thing to do is try to get the feedback prior to the launch. <laughs> that way you could adjust it and get it out there. And if you do have to launch, 
give yourself a little breathing room to where you can make a tweak after that first rotation. Yeah, that's a, a theme that comes up on this show of like, get that first customer, the first big brand name, whatever it may be, because that'll like open up every door after that. So I love the idea of like focus in on that first, make sure that's great, and then take that case study. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. And we still do that today with with new product launches. We try to get try to get it in somewhere first. We we find kind of the ideal customer that um, has the right retail customer that the product would be a great fit for. Get that feedback, optimize, and then take it to the broader market. Were there any surprising pieces when you're starting to get into all these retailers where maybe you're like, oh, I didn't really expect that to happen or this relationship would have gone better if we had done this? Just any stories around that? Yeah. The main thing is to understand the various costs involved with doing business in, in different sectors. Every, every you know, kind of retail format is a little different in what they um, require for slotting. Some folks will negotiate, some folks won't. What uh, the marketing ask is. One thing that we learned early on is we like to go in pretty firm on what our game plan is on the marketing side and on the product side. And that level of confidence usually goes a long way with the retail partners. So if you go into a presentation and your marketing plan isn't dialed or your product is still kind of up in the air, that's when they're going to jump in with their feedback because they want it to be a success if they're going to do business with you. So they're really just trying to help not knowing that they're adding complexity into the into the mix. So once we started talking with different folks and we went in there and tried to get feedback on the marketing plan or or on a product that we really didn't want to change, it, we learned early on that the key is go in, lock it in, be confident about what you're doing, and there's going to be certain customers where when they when they give you input, you're you're going to have to you're going to have to adjust to that, but know that before the meeting and and who you're going to go talk to. The other thing that I think is really important is to, and I know this is really in the weeds, but if you're going to sell at retail, understand freight. That is one where we went in and we were all about flexibility in the early days. And we still are to a certain extent because we kind of control our own manufacturing and could bob and weave in the production facility to get orders out. But freight could be an absolute killer if you don't optimize. When we first started selling, especially in the conventional retailer space, we didn't make a big deal out of ordering in full pallets, for example. Here's a great example, ordering a full pallet. If you just tell them minimum one pallet, they may order a pallet and a half. You pay a per pallet price for, for that item. So if you have 50 cents built in per unit for your freight cost, but they only put ha- they only filled up half the pallet, then now you're paying a dollar. You know, so I know it's in the weeds, but yeah, one thing that that's good. I'll never forget is think about having that conversation about building out full pallets on the front end. Mm. So how can you remain flexible? I'm guessing when you say flexible, you're like the amount of products they can order. How can you stay flexible while also knowing that, what you just said? Well, that comes back to the storytelling program. Through this process, you're building a rapport with your customers and they are becoming, you develop your reputation. If you're very clear on the front end, say what you're going to do and do what you're going to say, the customer will respect you even if you don't have a lot of leverage. It's not always about, well, you know, the retailer has the leverage because they don't have to buy your product. Well, at a certain point, they they get on board with what you're trying to do and they're behind you and they're just trying to run their business and, and meet their objectives. And uh, once you get them to that place, if they're on the journey with you and you've built that rapport because you've had the conversations, you've laid out your story, your mission, they know that you're trying, that you're working hard. They get a hold of you at 530. You're not going home at 501. You're, you're just putting in the work. They'll respect that. Then when you need to call them and say, hey, uh, we, 
we could pull this order up for you, but I need you to give me 25 more cases to round out the pallet. Remember, we had the talk. If if I don't do that, then I'm paying 75 cents for shipping and, and that's just going to blow the whole program up. I don't want to have to go back and redo the pricing and all that. They take you serious when you're having these conversations because you put in that work to build the rapport and lay out your case on the front and all the way through. Got it. Got it. Okay. So I want to shift a little bit now to talk about building up the brand. I mean, this is a topic that's come up a lot recently on the show where I just had a guest last week and they sell like water bottles and things like that. And he's like, if you can't tell your brand story, like anyone can kind of come in and make this water bottle. Anyone can like there's so much good access to ingredients, products these days that you really have to bring your brand to life. And I would love to hear how you guys think about doing that for um, Kevin's Natural Foods. I love it. And here's the way we think about it. The most important part, I think, is uh, the brand position. So building the brand can't happen unless you have a solid brand position. And the most important thing about it is that not only is there a product market fit and there's a unique selling proposition, but if you have multiple unique selling propositions and you're able to fortify your brand. So let me explain what I mean by that. If you were to look at Kevin's, we use sous vide protein, this cooking technique that makes your your protein or your... uh, ultra moist or your vegetables al dente. It's a great cooking method. How do you do that? <laughs> What's that? Okay. Let me, let me hit like, that. I actually don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No good. So sous vide stands for under vacuum in French. It was invented by French chefs. And the way it works is you take the raw product. If you're cooking broccoli, it's just raw uncooked broccoli. Or if you're cooking chicken breast, it's the raw chicken breast and you vacuum seal it. That's why it's under vacuum. So it's in a vacuum pouch raw. Then you actually cook it in water, in a water bath that's set to a precise temperature. And the thought process there is that you're actually cooking it in a heating mechanism, which is the water, that's at the desired temperature for the inside of the meat. So say, for example, you want to cook your steak to you know, 130 degrees, you set the water to 130 degrees, as opposed to cooking it on a grill that may be like 500 degrees, and you're just trying to pull the steak off in time when it's done. So it's it's such a cool method and it's really um, consistent. It makes your, your meat ultra moist. It's, it's great. It was a big breakthrough for us. But back to the branding side, if that was our only point of difference, we're vulnerable. Anybody can come in and it's equipment and process and it's, it's out there. It's, you can't do that. But you pair that with the health attributes, with the flavor, with the format of the entrees, with the origin story. Your position has to be solid so you could fortify your position. Then once you have it, it takes a little bit of the pressure off of the brand building components. You still have to do it, but if your position is sound, there's not as much of a hurry. You still want to get out in front of people and you still want to be a market leader, but you can experiment with things. You could find your voice. You could try different campaigns and the word of mouth is really strong because your position is so tight. So we spent the majority of our effort on fortifying that brand position. And now we're just getting into the marketing side of things where we're actively um, curating influencers to work with and starting to advertise more on um, platforms like Instacart and um, Facebook and Instagram and uh, TikTok, which has been really big uh, for us. And because the, we're starting with the solid position, we're seeing a really good return on investment because the message is resonating with folks. Got it. Got it. Okay. I've also, I saw you doing some cool things around like a chief health hacker campaign, which I'm like, oh, that's different and cool. And then things around kids. Tell me some details around these other things that you're doing that to me are like bringing the brand alive in the real world. 
That is so the objective for this next year. We were looking at how do we engage first chief health hacker? That's this campaign where we wanted to engage our community and get the community participating with the mission. So if we're trying to help people improve their lives, we have exposure to all these people via social media. So we incentivized our own online community to give us their best five-minute health hack. That's our, our tagline is we hacked healthy. So we said, we want your health hack and we're going to give whoever uh, has the best health hack, we're going to put them in a sweepstakes. Someone will win if you submit your health hack and then you become our chief health hacker. So we got a bunch of folks that follow us online um, submitting all these great tips and sharing them with their community and our community. So we got the word out and just had this really positive momentum around, hey, here's all these ways that are easy, easy shortcuts for you to improve your life. And then we were able to reward our health hacker and they got the $10,000 prize and Kevin's food for a year. So that was the incentive to make sure we had a bunch of entries. And now we're working with her on a number of uh, different health hacks throughout the year. I want to hear also about the kids initiative that you did as well. Like, what was that about? What did that entail? Okay. So the second recent little campaign we did that was fun or event we hosted was uh, the cookout with Kev. And we have been wanting to do something with kids for a while now, because our, our theory and our hypothesis is that if you could teach young people the basics behind cooking and the basics behind nutrition. You don't even have to get that deep because they're so impressionable at that age and they'll, they'll absorb the information and then they'll take that and have an appreciation for those life skills and kind of carry that forward. So again, we, we haven't proven this out yet. We're just starting to experiment in that area. And someone reached out on, her name was Sarah. She reached out on Facebook and said, hey, my, my son uh, it would be so interested in getting together and, and having a cookout. And um, she helped us pull together uh, a group of kids, many of which either just had an interest in nutrition and cooking or had um, an autoimmune disorder allergy situation that they were dealing with. We scheduled a date for them to come to our R&D kitchen. We had all these uh, activities set up to help teach about nutrition or just have fun around food. And then we had a big cookout at the end where the kids had a box of ingredients and they teamed up with a member of our team and each of them made their own creations. And we gave out a bunch of prizes for the most creative entree or the best combination or the best, most flavorful and just had a blast with these kids and just started the, just started working with kids and seeing what their response was and how receptive they were. And it blew my mind how open and eager they were to learn about not only food and nutrition, but, uh, but cooking. So we are still figuring out what we're going to do with that in the future, but that is definitely going to be a component of our program because that just it was so much fun and we could tell that it, it hit with these kids. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. I love that. All right. Last thing I want to ask is what's next for Kevin? Like what are maybe new products that are coming out? Where are you guys headed next? Next, we've, we've seen a trend. So we've had, we started with protein entrees uh, where it was just the meat paired with a, with a sauce, the sous vide meat with a the sauce. Then we added side dishes and then we added vegetable entrees. And now there's this demand for us to kind of combine, yeah. <laughs> combine the ingredients into a more complete meal. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's kind of come like, it's almost like the meal kit has kind of come, come back around. So we are launching uh, a, we just launched a line of paleo certified pasta entrees. They come with cauliflower based pasta, the sous vide protein, and then a, a pasta sauce all in one kit. So you could have a complete meal for two adults ready in five minutes. 
We also recently launched stir fries. So the third component, as opposed to being the cauliflower-based pasta, is a mixed vegetable or a sous vide green bean. And we're seeing a great reception to this kind of idea of round out my meal and make it more complete. We're going to keep exploring in that area. Yeah, I love that because I actually would always take your, I think it's like a Hawaiian chicken or some kind of chicken meal. And we would just put peas in it for the kids and be like, here, yeah, and like yeah, mix yeah. it in with the sauce and be like, here you go. And it was- You have some veg, yeah. a little color for interest. Yeah. You look like a chef at home. <laughs> I know that's, it's it. I mean, that's the whole idea. And we can give you that third component. It's a little bit for everybody because some folks like to buy them separate and mix and match and add their own ingredients. But for this, if you just want a one and done, you are uh, good to go. And then we're working on a grilling line that we're so excited about. It's actually marinated meats that you could cook in a number of different ways, roast them, you could saute them, you could grill them, but we're going to launch them for grilling season. And um, it's going to be, uh, it's pretty exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. You base the chicken as you're grilling it. You don't have to cut it. It's all perfectly portioned, portioned and marinated and follows all our health claims. So we're really excited about that launch. Wow. Okay. Well, I can't wait for those products to hit the market. Me and my family will for sure be indulging in them. So Thank you for coming on today and sharing what you guys are up to and making amazing products. Where can people uh, learn more about you and Kevin's Natural Foods? The best place to go is the website, kevinsnaturalfoods.com. And you can get links to all the social profiles and you can find stores where we're available or you can shop right there online. So that's the best spot. And Stephanie, thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.